0: It is just another addition to your repertoire to be more responsible to the planet and to your health.
1: You know, that's one of the key unlocking areas around software and tech that is helping you design personalized meals.
2: Cheaper to produce and more functional, very innovative. Mm.
3: Silicon Valley, the most innovative spot on earth. Corporate the place for corporate executives that transforms innovative threats into business opportunities. And now let's get ready to rumble with the host, Tomasso. And we are live. Hello everybody. Thank you very much to join our virtual coffee. I'm very excited to have you all here. And I should really say, um, you know, good morning from my side, but also good evening or good afternoon, depending where you guys are dialing in from. This is our virtual coffee. Uh, It's a curated panel of industry fellows that discuss how to future-proof traditional markets. And we are in our episode number four of our season that has an amazing title and amazing focus, which is Alternative Protein, also known as Next Gen Protein. And I would like to introduce you today to our panelists. Thank you, Ina Gaven, for being here with us. Ina. let me briefly introduce you and your background, Corporate Executive Chef at Unilever Food Solution in North America. Ina. it's a pleasure to have you here at our virtual coffee. And uh, Ginesh, Ginesh is uh, already a frequent guest. Ginesh, thanks again for taking your time and le- allowing us to pick your brain on this topic. A serial entrepreneur, white combinator Alan, advisor and mentor of a serial of alternative startups globally, such as Just or uh, Good Dot, and founder at Easy Chef. Ginesh, pleasure to have you again here. And Let me pronounce Denise Cherot, CEO of improve Europe's first research and development platform, which is totally dedicated of the development of proteins of the future. Well, Denise, it's a pleasure to have you here. And without further ado, I would like to kick off things by starting with the questions. Question two, I'd say I'll start with Ina. Ina, as an accomplished executive chef, Can you say that the alternative proteins have already evolved as a replacement to what we know today as meat, dairy, products and and really seriously approaching, you know, the taste, the texture and aroma. What are your thoughts on, on, on this?
0: I absolutely think if you look back five years ago, the strides that this market has made, is by leaps of years right so up till probably five six years ago it was minute and very geared to uh, a certain amount or a certain type of consumer uh, with dietary restriction or dietary preference what happened in this booming market is really appealing to the gen pop where you don't have to be lactose intolerance you do not have to be vegan or vegetarian it is just another addition to your repertoire to be more responsible to the planet and to your health and we can see that we that growing hand-in-hand demand and uh, development you see the quality of the products are really inching in to mimic an experience that will be familiar but by people that do want to enjoy milk or meat but just want to consume less of it and not necessarily by necessity of eating less so absolutely and it's just amazing you see the amount of startups and the amount of VCs invested or money being funneled into that and and you just see the wheel uh, gaining more and more momentum.
3: How how close do you think that texture gets to to the real uh, products uh, and flavors?
0: So I think it really depends on the format. Uh, obviously, in in what we call emulsified meats, things like sausages, nuggets, uh, you see a little bit closer because just by nature, as the chef, I won't walk you through all the uh, mumbo jumbo of, of of the cooking, but it allows you um, a little bit more closeness. We see also in ground beef, like we see in burgers and, and ground beef product, um, closeness to the browning, the aroma, the texture, the flavor, is not quite there yet, but a lot of things are being eaten with a sauce or with a topping or with a condiment and that brings it significantly forward to the experience where still advancements are to be made is in the whole muscle type of the production. So, you know, I think this is where it's gonna be next in the next few years.
3: Wow, that's very exciting uh, outlooks that we have and thanks for sharing this uh, enough, Uh, Dennis. Um, You are an experienced uh, executive and experienced leader in advanced research lab, right? So, what does the future hold in terms of innovation and benefits in alternative proteins? Or uh, in other words, what are the key aspects that you see um, that we can observe as of today, Dennis?
2: Yeah, um, in fact, IMPROVE is an R&D center and we are working with a lot of customers. We are more than 400 customers worldwide and some are members of the B2B market, you know, the ingredient producers, and some are the B2B players, the ones who are formulating and selling to the final consumers the product. And the challenges are different depending on which area you are. For the, the B2B players, in fact, what they want is to innovate around the raw material, to try to diversify the raw material. Because today, protein ingredients are almost only based on soy and wheat. And if you want something else, it's really, really difficult to get something. P is is getting uh, is right now raising nicely, but except that, uh, almost nothing. So there is a major challenge, because you know uh, in the pulses family there are so many good potential uh, candidates, like for example uh, faba bean, mung bean, uh, chickpea. All these uh, beans can be processed, but you have also some uh, microorganism, algaes, uh, Roots, uh, sometimes insect. It's not plant-based, but it's salt, alternative proteins. What is a challenge there is to you have to to have a cheap access to have a raw material which is available and which is also having the right quality. It's not because uh, there there are a lot of dreams around these raw materials. So we need to be realistic and we need to be cost effective and we need to make sure that people will not be impacted, negatively impacted if you uh, want to go to this area. The second area of attention is around processes. And there are basically two major ways to to produce ingredients. It's uh, Either the dry fractionation or the wet fractionation. The wet fractionation is giving you isolate, so highly purified uh, process, a uh, product around 85 to 90% protein on uh, dry matter. It's, it's good in terms of purity, in terms of functionality, but it's expensive, highly processed. So, you know, you have always uh, ways to see plus or minus and uh, you have to, ta- to take your choice. The concentrate, they are processed uh, using dry processing. They are much cheaper because the, the technology is much cheaper, more accessible. And in addition of that, the quality of the product is a little bit different. The purity will be lower between 55 to 65% protein on dry matter, but there are plenty of things to do. And I'm sure that uh, EDAF can formulate nicely, isolate or also uh, concentrate. So it's in fact, enlarging the options. And uh, and for me, that's a great future. Wow. That's, that's a very interesting
3: perspective. Well, thank you so much for sharing this, Dennis. Now to you uh, Genus, I took a look again at your at your at your background science math tech right so you have really a very deep knowledge in, in a variety of areas. How would you see that uh, based on your knowledge right and this range of new technologies that that we are discussing here, how do you see that it's possible uh, possible in the future to fuse you know the the physical part with the digital you know with the biological in order for a significantly change how we eat and maybe you know five to, to 10 years. What are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I think,
1: I think what we're going through right now is a fantastic phase in uh, biological innovation. Right, that's, I think that's one of the big innovations going on right now. Mm-hmm. But, and that's the one that we see being talked about a lot in the news, like the likes of Beyond Meat, the likes of Impossible, and the right. host of other companies in that space. That you know, talk about things like leg hemoglobin, uh, things like you know, fermentation based proteins produced that are milk proteins or egg proteins. So, there's a lot of obviously deep science and tech going on in that space. Uh, But the thing that isn't as big uh, typically talked about in the alternative protein arena is also stuff that is going on in the food uh, tech arena overall, things like the role of robotics that is emerging now in terms of tech robotics sort of, you know, aiding with production and manufacturing at scale. You know, that's one of the key unlocking areas around software and tech that is helping you design personalized meals, helping you design DNA-based uh, meal choices. And so, so I think there's a, there's a lot of innovation in that space. In addition, I think there is a lot to be done with, you know, distribution, logistics, uh, sourcing, there's a lot of good technology that goes uh, through there. And then if you go further down, you know, back to agriculture, lots of science going into, you know, circular regenerative economies, right? I mean, to touch upon one of the points that Dennis mentioned, right? I mean, the soy, peas are some of the biggest sources right now. As humankind, we've only sourced, what, like four to five different crops as like everything that we make out of, most probably. Wheat, rice, soy, and maize, I believe, are the top four. And there is just like a whole ton of other crops to be explored and the science behind them and regenerative sort of, uh, agriculture, right? In India alone, for example, right now, I've met entrepreneurs working on things like horse gram, which is like something I had not heard of until earlier this year, right, being, in, being an Indian. And the whole variety of peas, uh, legumes, pulses, that can be sourced uh, to do some of this stuff. So I think, in my view, the alternative protein arena is innovation. This is probably, I would say, like the second wave. Earlier, we had the likes of mock meats being developed in Taiwan, right? Those have been going on for, for decades. And now we have the likes of Impossible and Beyond and, and so many other companies like Good. Dot in India doing this next wave. And then I think after this, we'll have even a lot more sort of local innovation, different ingredients, different technologies, including cell-based meats in the future. There are companies that are doing homegrown cell-based meat kits, right? So I think this is just the beginning to me of all of those areas of innovation uh, coming in together, including eventually air and space as we become multiplanetary. And, and you know grow cell-based meat out there because we definitely don't want to do what we've done to our planet, you know, and the other ones too. So, <laughs> well,
3: that's uh, that's very interesting, and thanks for for allowing us to pick your brain on this. So despite all the challenges. And all the, the negative news that we hear, it's it's, it's really a, a nice message to say, well, it's early days, right? There is a lot of opportunity, still a lot of things to uncover, regardless it's from a corporation perspective or it's from a startup perspective, right? And even the fuse of of many aspects, which is then maybe the data aspect of it, what we learn out of it, and how this can evolve into maybe new services, new business model, et cetera. So thank you so much. And without further ado, I would like to kick off our second round of questions. And going back, I would like to, yeah, Ina broader question this time, Ina. So innovation, I was just mentioning innovation and cooperation, right? You work for a global corporation. What's, sure. you know, I imagine that it's a huge challenge, not just to mention, but to get innovation really to be deployed, right, in a big corporation. How can you as an individual or within a team influence change within this corporation, always tied always to the perspective of uh, alternative uh, protein? What are your thoughts on this? What can you share with us?
0: First of all, it's a, it's a philosophy, right? Yes, it's a big corporation and there are many moving bodies and you always feel like you're a, a small component, but my, our fearless global leader uh, on the UFS arm said, if you think you're too small to make an impact, think COVID-19, right? So you're never too small <laughs> to make an impact. I think it it it's all about identifying a need. So for big corporation, on any innovation, there are two two approaches. Either you have an idea and and you create something and you create a need for it or you identify a need and you create a solution. You know, we as a big corporation come from more of the latter of identifying a need and then see if a solution is within our wheelhouse, within our brands, within our technologies, within our expertise. And this is where I play a role. So you're never too small because we're all out there seeing hearing, taking part of the outer world and coming in back to the organization and say, hey, you know, plant forward and protein alternatives are not only a trend, they're something that will stay and we should take place uh, in that as a food company. Uh, this is how you start having the conversation. Needless to say that being bigger, we're moving slower. You know, I don't think I'm breaking any news to any uh, big, big companies executive uh, guests on, on this on this call, but I always say we're like a train. We may be moving slower, maybe taking a, a turn slower, but we are moving masses and our reach is extremely big. So I don't think it needs to be one format or another, but really the essence of my job is to connect the outer world in I evaluate what is relevant to us within our framework and then suggest with my colleagues, what are the ways that we can innovate around around that need and bring a tangible solutions for consumers and our our customers. Not always do I get what I want. Sometimes I need to pitch the same thing in different uh, formats. Sometimes I need to talk to different people, but things that have merit will end up at the end.
3: Yeah, let me double down on this because while you were talking, I was just really illustrating in my mind, you know, a chef within a, within a corporation in this next-gen protein experimentation must be fundamental for whatever you do, you know? Maybe you want to share uh, one of your latest experiment or one of the experiments where you had, before you get in, went into the experiment, one assumption. And then while you experiment and based on the result of the experiment, it totally changed really your learnings and what you expected out of it. Is there anything that you say, Tommaso, this is what I did and and this is what came out of it?
0: Yeah, you know, we all, we're humans, right? We all come with our pre-consumptions into any situation and our biases. You know, when alternative protein just started to gain momentum, I want to say that I'm a flexitarian because I eat everything, but, uh, you know, it's, The first assessment for me just to understand was to try everything, everything under the sun and the moon that is out there. Uh, Hours and hours in the kitchen of tasting every competitor, every company, every format of product out there just to understand the gamut of the market from the the vegetable uh, based ones up to the meat alternative and, and see, cook them, cook them straight up, cook them in application so I can get the full experience. And I came into it saying, you know, we, we, this is a highly processed item. I know there is a lot of, of heat in the market of saying, okay, this is, it's not necessarily better because it is highly processed and what will be the repercussions of that? At the end of the day, we are offering an alternative to an unsustainable way of eating an unsustainable industry, period. You can choose or not choose to participate in any format that you want. But I needed to take that turn personally to believe in it you know, and then because if I, it's very hard for me to pitch something I don't believe in and taste everything out there, experience everything out there, read the labels, understand what it means, what is the difference between extruded, extruded to other formats and understand that, you know, at the end of the day, all foods are processed to a degree. It's, it's our perception of what processed is, you know, dry pasta and dry rice are processed. It's just a psychology thing. You know, yeah. and it's 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 not something that you have to consume five times a day every day, but it is there to offer the same experience with different benefits and being a little bit more responsible to yourself and the planet.
3: No, wow, thank you so much, Eina. Uh, Dennis, um, we see on one hand you know the universities and uh, coming you know with with great uh, scientific uh, next gen uh, products on the other hand, we have vCs pouring in money and betting on this next gen food and and, and also those also drinks alternatives right uh, but uh, uh, creating a startup regardless of uh, next-gen protein or not is a big challenge, but what are specific the challenges that a startup and an entrepreneur, a startup team has when it embarks on the journey of, I would like to change the world with alternative protein or alternative
2: protein. What are your thoughts on this? What can you share with the audience? So again, I, I will split the question in two parts, the ingredient and the application part. The ingredient, it's a, it's a real challenge because uh, when you want to develop a new process, it's millions of dollars or euros to be invested if you want really to invest a plant. We heard recently some project in Canada, 400 million euros to create a plant producing isolates. So it's a real challenge. Improve is a, is a startup because we started very recently. We, we patented recently a process, a very innovating and amazing process, able to produce, isolate from pulses, P, Fababin, whatever, taste neutral, almost uh, white, cheaper to produce and more functional. Now the challenge for us, because we are small, is to convince big players, investors, or uh, producers to first hear, believe, and then trial the the, the product, and maybe modify some um, part of the uh, production facilities. It's a real challenge. So one of the challenge for the B2C is being small, and convince the big players. In the B2C, it's a little bit different because you can be small, you can innovate, you can formulate something totally new. If you are creative, if you are smart, you can develop something. Then the, the challenge will be, how can we resist against the competition? Because if I am small and able in few months to develop something, a lot of people can do the same. And uh, we have access to multiple raw material, multiple applications. So I think right there, the challenge is around how can be competitive? in terms of cost, also quality, because it's not because in my kitchen I can do something good. It's safe, it's maybe not safe because my raw material was not properly treated. Maybe the way to store, to process was not perfectly adapted. So food is a food science and there there are some rules you can follow. So startup needs also to pay attention to that. And then you need also to understand the market and the, the needs from the customers. There is not one customer, even one single individual can be multiple customers. You are not the same when you are eating your breakfast on Monday morning, you are eating your lunch on Wednesday, and you are doing party on Saturday night because uh, you are totally different customers. And you need also to give answers to these different customers. And understanding the diversity of customers' needs is a very complex story. So that's where also the challenge of the startup is to to find the market in this very diversified uh, range of uh, demand. Mm. So one is really on the production side and you mentioned also on the go-to-market, right? Access
3: and really getting uh, to somebody to hear what you have to say. This is a big challenge. And I assume, and this is kind of also, then uh, it's going into the next question that I have. I would like to ask uh, Ginesh, you know, you know, this topic is so hot right now that there are, you know, a bunch of some big players, you know, without mentioning the names, you know, for instance, in, in Alternative Meat that, you know, really are kind of a monopoly already, right? But you see a lot of startups also in this space, you know, for instance, again, Alternative Meat coming in, right? So how can you compete, right? Um, on with the big ones, right? In the, w- with all those challenges that Dennis just, uh, just mentioned, what makes them unique? The smaller ones, Jimish? Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So a few different things, actually, and I'd like to begin with the theme that's probably most becoming most important right now with uh, the COVID situation, right? Food production lines around the world, meat production lines specifically have been affected very much so, right? Um, and a lot of the theme focus right now is on local production of food, essentially. And so what you're seeing right now, for example, not in Chile, you know, raising, raising money, future farm, you know, going, doing well in a certain region in the world. from Brazil. Company from New Zealand, Sunfed Meats, doing really well in supplying it in in New Zealand and in Australia. Good Dot, which didn't exist in the market, say, about four years ago, has become really big in India, for example. And this is all, I'm just giving you a few names right now, uh, which are all just they didn't exist on the map a few years ago right. when we, we would consider the bigger names, if I may, like, you know, just or impossible or beyond as sort of monopolies in this space. Omniport kind of emerged only in the last five years in China, for example. So I think in part, uh, both from a public and the demand perception piece, people want to support more local food, locally sourced food, locally manufactured food that supports local economies. And in addition to that, I think it's, it's also around uh, costs. It's also around developing meats that suit a certain type of application, you know, uh, certain price points. So there's definitely tons of opportunity to be done. How do small startups otherwise sort of innovate and, and engage? I, I was, for example, speaking just yesterday to an 18, 19-year-old entrepreneur uh, in India who started making alternative meats and supplying them to local restaurants, how do they possibly scale up? The good part is now in this new wave coming up, you have already a lot of know-how of what has happened in this space before, right? So you don't have to reinvent the wheel and start from a zero. You kind of have a sense of, you know, what's happened before, take it forward. And how that can be aided is that a lot of ingredient supply companies, a lot of innovation labs, just like Improve, for example, in France, right? And, And a lot even the bigger names have innovation lab set up where they work with the smaller startups in order to help them with their formulations and, and come to market, right? So I think there's a lot more work to be done in that space. There is still work to be done in making products shelf stable versus uh, frozen or refrigerated, what the costs are, what the environmental impact of all that stuff is. And, and I think we're, again, we're just beginning, like Nova Meat doing 3D printed meat, you know, that, that is just one example that I read just recently about Uh, one company called Singularity Sushi that is going to make a very personalized type of 3D printed sushi that will be specifically your type of DNA and saliva so that the taste that it delivers to you is very specific to you, right? I mean, the concepts are endless if you think of it. And to me, the first wave of big companies will last, but they're just inspiring other entrepreneurs sort of come in and do a lot more essentially.
3: I love it. I love it. So, uh, at the end of the day, never be never be intimidated by the big ones. It just shows that there is a market, right? And and then uh, be segmented. Think maybe on models of the delivery models, customization, individualization. You mentioned 3D printing. So there is still a a big uh, opportunity path ahead of us for a lot of good players that really focus on the product and customer-centric approach. Thank you so much, Jinish, for for sharing this. Well, you know, Dennis, Jinish, we are already here through our second round of questions. It's not about having a long format, but really succinct and informative. And I would like to open up here. One is, the first one is from an anonymous attendee. Which are the advantages and disadvantages between wet and dry uh, fra- fractionation? Uh, which one is better? Who would like to, to take this?
0: The one who knows it. fractionation.
2: Right. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, <laughs> I, can I can take it. The pluses, uh, you know, for both, you have pluses and minuses. So dry fractionation, basically, is cheap, less energy, less transformation, no water, no solvent, Uh, it's just milling and sieving. Uh, You can achieve a pretty decent level of protein, as I said before, around 55 to 65%. The negative is uh, you have difficulties to fight against uh, composition. If you have, for example, anti-nutritional factors in the product, it's difficult to remove because you don't have extraction and refining. Uh, You have ways to increase, uh, uh, to improve the taste by doing some thermal treatment, but it's uh, sometimes tricky, so it's, it's a very good product, basic product, cheap, easy to, to be sold and formulated, but it's not extremely pure, and usually formulators prefer to work on uh, with purified product like Isolate. So, pluses and minuses for Isolate, it's more purified, you can better control the functional properties. But it's quite expensive. That's, I think, the most uh, disadvantage. And if people consider the processing, we can say that uh, isolates are more in the high processing side than the than the, the flowers uh, produced on dry, dry uh, process.
3: Thank you so much, Dennis. Anybody wants to add something? Uh, uh, Janish, uh, Ina, uh, anybody?
0: <laughs> oh, I think he did a good job. <laughs> <for> <laughs>
3: and we have uh, Christoph. Given the energy difference of animal and plant proteins will we ever be able to recreate the taste and texture of whole cuts with plant-based products probably direct to Ina or Dennis. Ina, you want to take this one?
0: Sure, I think I think a lot of work is already uh, happening in that area. And it's all going to be a combination of technology and ingredients. So now that, as Janish said, the first knowledge or know-how has happened, it, the, I think the advancement to that is going to be significantly faster. So e- even if it's a 3D printing or whole muscle production, it's first going to be the format, the, the technology of creating the format at, and then the flavor will be secondary to that, but everybody's working in parallel paths uh, to get to that goal. Yep.
2: Awesome. So may I a little a bit? Up, yeah, go ahead. I ahead. want to add just a, a comment. Uh, everything you have said is, is correct. I would like to add the fact that working on the, the breeding of the raw material, if you are working on seeds, for example, from one seed variety to another, you can have an extremely different uh, organoleptic profile we don't speak about pea or fababin, we speak about varieties and it's extremely important. And I think right now we are in the battle of the technology, but in the coming years we will be in the battle of the breeding, because the breeding will make the difference at the end. You will diversify your product based on the breeding. Wow, yeah. and, and I
0: think it's, it's, it links directly to what Janesh said before, as we are looking more and more into a circular food system, and a more bulletproof supply chain that will offer aggregative farming and, uh, and biodiversity.
1: Small, small piece to add there, uh, you know, just to, for, the, for the audience here, you guys might already know, but look up uh, a company like I think Nova Meat, the 3D printed steaks that they're doing, right? You can customize what marbling of the steak that you want in there. And, mm. and this is just, they're not even like at this point, like right away ready to go to market, but they've already ex- advanced so much just in the last two years soon you'll be able to have um, like a steak, marble the way you want with the amount of fat in the right areas, you know, printed exactly the way you want. So, so and, and of course cell-based meats will take that, I mean, to another level where the 3D scaffolding around which you, you put the different sort of cells on there, the fat cells and the protein cells. There's companies doing both fat cells and protein cells. Now, earlier it was just protein, uh, sort of chase with proteins. It's not just going to taste exactly like animal products, you'll be able to make it taste like how you want, right? Th- that's going to be fascinating, right? I mean, uh, in the f- people who have never tasted, say, marsupial meats, people like me who've been vegetarian all my life will probably think of, uh, you know, to, to the dismay of a lot of family and friends of mine, be able to taste like mammoth meat or marsupial meat in the future, which, which I think would be fascinating.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And we have time for one more question. This one goes to, this is from Jennifer Santa Barbara, asks, Ina, how much of interaction there is between comput- computational biologists and scientists of cellular agriculture in Unilever's test kitchen?
0: In, in my immediate kitchen, uh, not so much. Uh, however, in our discovery, centers in Wageningen in the Netherlands very much so so Unilever has a a unit that works very closely with the Wageningen University Uh, we work with different entities obviously to to see what is happening how it can be translated and try to keep ahead of the game so when it's come for adaptation more for the the masses we are ready and we don't need to do this journey uh, uh, from the beginning so I'm more informed I'm not on the front line of that but Unilever does have it.
3: Oh, okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this is it for today for our virtual coffee, Ginesh, Ina, vandenes But before we wrap up things, I actually wanna end up on a, on a last question and which is around really innovation and inspiration of innovation. Everybody talks innovation, right? Innovation is, is, is an experiment on itself. There is no blueprint, right? What are the, and what is maybe the source of inspiration for every single one of you? Might be a book, might be a podcast, might be a person with the question of innovation and inspiration of innovation. I would like to start with Jinish. what inspires you? What's the source of inspiration for you in this industry? I think the first, the first very first one for me,
1: I come from a math and a computer science, math finance background. It's a very different world from the food industry. Mm-hmm. A few things for me were were Steve Jobs, uh, big inspiration, find your passion, right? I mean, uh, it doesn't matter what background you come from, you got to find your passion. And once you find it, it's very satisfying to go to bed every night, you know, when you're working on, on something that you love. Elon Musk, I mean, these must be inspiration for a lot of people. He started from making video games and now he's uh, making reusable rockets, uh, planning to take humans to Mars. So it doesn't matter where you come from, uh, you can really achieve whatever you really want. if If you really deeply go after it, if you're like, if you have the fire, and the motivation and last but not least just like our biodiversity on this planet man like you know just living in san francisco or sometime i could see whales breach while walking on the street in the city you could see whales breaching from the water in certain seasons i don't want uh you know future generations to miss that and i actually want more of our biodiversity to come back and and a big part of that is accelerating towards a future of food that is animal free and animal agriculture free so that in itself is a big inspiration
3: love it thank you so much Gina. you what inspires you, what are the source of inspiration for innovation where do you learn what where do you gather information
0: i i think it's exposure you know that's the way i create dishes or created when i worked in restaurants for many years it's connecting dots so the more you're exposed to a more diverse Forums, people's ingredients, technologies. That dot starts to fall in some sort of a pattern and a place in my head, and it, it comes together as something. It, it also for me, it's trying to see the world in through the eyes of somebody else. It can be my kids, it can be my consumer, it can be the operators that I serve, uh, because then you get different perspective and you can identify different needs, and all of it comes together at the end. So it's always, always not to be stuck with the mundane, just. Put yourself out there constantly.
3: I love it. Put yourself out there and, and, and test it, right? Experiment. Thank you so yeah. much, Jeanette. And last
2: but not least, Denise, how about you? source of inspiration for innovation? Okay, so I will be certainly more basic. In fact, uh, reading information everywhere, it's, uh, it's something very inspiring. And this is why we publish, for example, in IMPROVE, uh, a protein newsletter, uh, gathering information from scientific documents, patents, uh, market review, uh, M&As information. So, And we can give uh, this review to to all the customers, all our network. So if you have people interested, please let me know. We can perfectly connect you to this uh, database. It's very inspiring. I can tell you there are so many information. And you can go back to the database and see how the the, the things are moving. Because, you know, we are speaking today about a, a project, but what was the case uh, four years ago. So it's very instructive to see how the, the things are moving in the time. So inspiration can also be coming from reading. Absolutely, well, thank you so much. I appreciate very much Uh,
3: to join us, invest this time and, and share the knowledge because we believe really that sharing knowledge in this so delicate time with others makes us grow together as a community. That's exactly the intent, what we have here. And I would like to wrap up things with my motto, with my quote that I learned over the last 20 years to praise and understand within which goes like this. Never forget where you come from, it keeps you humble. But where you come from, cannot limit you where you want to go what's your vision what are your plans and just get it let's keep on innovating thank you so much Jinish, ina and dennis i really appreciate it (laughs) see you next time see you around bye 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 audience bye
0: guys bye everybody Bye -bye. bye everybody